unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Coming up on this week's show, my guest will be Bubba Rosenbaum of the Bubba Rose Show. I know Bubba from his podcast, as well as the Sports Objective, which covers East Carolina football, which uh, we have them on a lot on my AAC show. We'll talk some sports with Bubba coming up. He is standing by in the virtual green room and joins us momentarily. Well, how about the United States taking back the Ryder Cup with a record 19 points in their victory over the weekend? Love the venue there, Whistling Straits in Wisconsin. Beautiful setting there, and it was great to see. Uh, boy, I just kept waiting for the tide to turn because the uh, the USA has often gotten up to big leads only to watch them slip away at the end, but uh, this time... Uh, they had the pedal to the floor. Bryson DeChambeau with that big eagle on the first hole of his match. Um, boy, just terrific stuff there. And even he and Kepka had a little bro hug there. So uh, congrats to the USA on that. Ryder Cup's a fun watch. Uh, to me, that makes golf a lot more interesting. How about Justin Tucker, the Baltimore Ravens, with a record-breaking 66-yard field goal that... Bounces in off the crossbar in their victory over the Detroit Lions. Whew. Wow, that's incredible stuff. He's definitely Hall of Fame worthy kicker. And uh, uh, man, what a kick. That is just some some crazy stuff. You know, he had beaten the Lions a few years ago with a 61-yarder. And of course, his uh, kick breaks the record of 64 yards held by former UCF Knight Matt Prater, who of course, now kicks these days for the Arizona Cardinals. He actually attempted a 68-yarder at the end of the first half against Jacksonville. Ended up a yard short, and it was a return to 109 yards for a kick six, which uh, Gus Johnson so excitedly called on Fox Sports. And uh, new addition to Super Wildcard Weekend. We got that uh, when the NFL expanded the playoffs last year. And this year... They're making a Monday Night Football game into the mix. So there'll be two wildcard games on Saturday in the 4.35 and 8.15 windows. Three on Sunday at 1, 4.30 and 8.15. And then a Monday Nighter at 8.15. So uh, interesting. One team might have a short week going into the divisional round if they play on Mon- and win on Monday night. But uh, Interesting that they're uh, now spreading the wealth <laughs> across three days. And uh, turning to baseball, Devin Williams, Milwaukee Brewers reliever, is now done for the season. Celebrated their divisional championship, and I guess on the way home, he got upset about something, punched a wall. What is it with these guys? You Oscar Yanoa of uh, uh, the Braves did that earlier in the season. And so far, anytime I've heard of somebody punching a wall, the outcome's always been negative. <laughs> uh, nothing comes good out of that. Braves-Phillies, only thing left to decide in the National League. Braves took the first set, three-game set on Tuesday night. I'm recording on Wednesday, hoping for another victory. And a three-and-a-half game lead now. The Braves sweep it, it's over. Two out of three. Still gives the Braves an advantage, but if the Phillies take two out of three, it'll be an interesting weekend. And the Braves could have to possibly make up a rain out against the Colorado Rockies if it comes down to it on Monday. So stay tuned for that as the baseball playoffs continue their run. And my pleasure to welcome to the program... My buddy from the Sports Objective Podcast in the Carolinas and his very own Bubba Rose Show. We're going to talk some sports now with Bubba Rosenbaum. Bubba, thanks for being on the show. Absolutely, Jeff. It's always great to talk sports with you and uh, looking forward to being on this program for the first time. 
Yes, uh, yeah. So uh, I have the AAC report on the Nightline Sports Network, as many of my listeners know, and uh, and I've made a connection with uh, with Bubba and his guys at the Sports Objective. So we've been on each other's uh, uh, shows uh, numerous times, and of course, Bubba started his own podcast. So we're we're finishing up a home and home series, if you will. I was on Bubba's show in the <laughs> summer, and now Bubba's not on with me in the fall. So uh, it's uh, it's good to have you here, definitely for sure. Um, so, you know, Bubba, I wanted to ask you first how you, you know, kind of got into podcasting because, you know, it's a big, wide world out there now in podcasting. I mean, you can find podcasts on anything, anywhere. Um, how did you get into it? I mean, a lot of people have, you know, broadcasting backgrounds like myself and a lot of people don't, but they still do great stuff. So uh, how did you get in, into it? It really goes back to the summer of uh, 2018. You know, uh, obviously, anybody that knows anything about me knows that I'm a diehard East Carolina fan. Uh, so I was listening to Pirate Radio. Um, you know, they have tremendous coverage of uh, everything and all things East Carolina. Uh, so listening to Pirate Radio, maybe it was a post-game call-in show or one of their weekly programs. But uh, whatever the case, uh, there was a call referencing uh, – a gentleman by the name of Dave Richmond, who uh, was hosting the sports objective and needless to say, I mean, you know, that particular radio station, they weren't, they weren't trying to promote other shows, but at the same time, um, you know, that hearing that Dave Richmond, I was like, well, the name kind of sounds familiar, but who is Dave Richmond? So I start Googling uh, Dave Richmond. I find the sports objective, which I've now been a part of since July of 2018. Uh, so, um, you know, just shy of, three and a half years and so you know I, I got a little interested seeing uh, you know what type of content Dave and I and you know his uh, fellow podcast co-hosts were putting out there and I saw um, you know he had done about five shows at that point because this was um, the show launched in March of 2018 and this was I guess April so um, very early on, I had some good guests. Uh, I listened to it and I really liked what I heard. So I reached out to Dave and told him I thought I could bring something to the table. And we got to talking uh, and talked for two or three months and um, eventually, you know, joined the team and went on air, if you will, uh, there in July of 2018. Yeah, so when you, as you were listening to shows, uh, you know, radio shows, did, were you ever like right. a caller into radio shows at, at all? Or Occasionally, did... not, not really. I was more of a listener uh, only, but um, there were, two, you know, a handful of times where I called in. Yeah, cool. But uh, as always, I always find it fascinating how people uh, kind of land into these things. And because, you know, it's probably something, you know, 10 and, years ago, you probably would never imagine doing, right? <laughs> exactly. And generally by nature that's what i'm i'm more uh, more of an introvert so it was a big step for me but then one of my fellow co-hosts that you know kyle barber um kyle was a, a weekly caller to the the fifth quarter calling show on pirate radio and um, really had built quite a following of folks eager for him to call in because his calls were generally pretty exciting and you know pretty on edge if you will so yeah kyle Kyle was, I guess, more more of a natural, and it took me some time, you know, to come out of my shell, so to speak. But uh, have really enjoyed it here three plus years later. Yeah, most definitely, and of course, always uh, encourage the folks to check that out. And then, and then you've uh, decided to uh, to do a second podcast, doing your own show. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, tell me a little bit, of, tell our listeners a little bit about your about your solo efforts. Absolutely. Uh, can you still hear me okay? Yes, I can still hear you. Uh, gotcha. Um, so it was the Bubba Rose Show. I'm just trying to branch out a little bit more and, you know, talk some things in addition to sports or maybe different sides of sports. Um, so that was something that I, I started back, I guess it was the spring of this year. And really right now I'm just busy, um, kind of a hiatus from that. I uh, haven't put out any new content and, in several weeks, I'm definitely looking to resume that soon. But you know, had a, I'm still doing the same thing as far as my job. But I, I was uh, switching jobs, had some different things going on with the kids and so forth. And and uh, I know uh, you've we kind of briefly talked about that before. You know how you know you try to be consistent with it, but sometimes life happens. So hopefully on the Bubba Rose Show, we'll make a return here in the next few weeks. But uh, 
really had some good guests with that and, uh, you know, talking sports, um, you know, with FBS officials from, from the past, a guy named Dr. Jerry McGee, uh, who had a very interesting story. He played baseball at East Carolina back in the 1960s and then went on to officiate in the FBS ranks, um, you know, and did at least one, if not multiple national title games and, in addition to that, he is also the president of Wingate University, which is a small Division II school here right outside of Charlotte, um, and did that for at least 20, 25 years. And so he had a very intriguing story. And uh, his son, um, a lot of folks listen to this. If you listen to Sports Talk Radio and just follow ESPN a lot, um, especially NASCAR and college football, Ryan McGee is uh, it's Ryan McGee's father. Okay. Very cool. Um, of course, we'll encourage our folks to uh, listen to your to your shows that are out there uh, in in wherever you get your podcasts and uh, and check out the Bubba Rose Show as well. So, you know, being on the sports objective certainly in your wheelhouse because you are you know, you bleed purple and gold for East Carolina. So, tell me about growing up in Car- in the Carolinas, and you know. Is it is there a natural tendency for kids to want to be North North Carolina or North Carolina State? Um, you know, was there any inkling of that uh, in your childhood, or was it just East Carolina right from the get go? For me, it was East Carolina right from the get go. There was absolutely no uh, no inkling whatsoever toward North Carolina, North Carolina State, Wake Forest, Duke, any of those in state ACC programs. And my dad's a Class of 76 from East Carolina. I actually, um, you know, a lot of folks, understandably so, think that I attended East Carolina. I did an undergrad internship there, but I actually did not ever attend East Carolina. And the reason why is I played small college football. I was a quarterback and punter at a few different schools, finished up at Averett University, a Division three program in Danville, Virginia. But, um, yeah, my passion for the Pirates um, really started <laughs> – you know, as soon as I was old enough to remember anything like that, as far as going to games, I, I mean, I remember things from literally when I was two and three years old, um, you know, obviously very little detail, but I, I remember, you know, being around the house and, and my dad talking about ball games and things of that nature. And then my earliest uh, vivid memories and probably start about six years old on you know, East Carolina won a big season opening game at NC State, uh, 32 to 14 in that 1987 season. Um, so that was one of my uh, best and earliest memories of the Pirates. And then, you know, just so many excellent memories down through the years, uh, plenty of trying times as well, but uh, wouldn't trade it for anything in the world on um, getting to go to uh, countless East Carolina football, basketball and then also baseball games uh, over the last 30-plus years and uh, have j- just been a lifelong pirate. And, um, you know, going back to the ACC thing, it's funny you brought that up, and it's very natural for you to bring that up because it's certainly, uh, you know, shoved down your throat, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, growing up in the state of North Carolina. But one of my favorite things in elementary school was when, you know, my classmates would ask me, and, you know, they'd see me wearing my East Carolina stuff, and they're like, well, who's your favorite team? I said, East Carolina. Well, we know that, but what, who's your favorite ACC team? I said, <laughs> one this, I said, who's my favorite ACC team? I said, one that's getting beat. <laughs> and, and, and they just looked at me like, what are you talking about? I said, yeah. I said, one that's getting beat. I said, I could care less about any of these ACC teams. Yeah. I, I, I said, I'm an East Carolina Pirate. So that's something I've always taken pride in and, uh, you know, just priding myself on – being nothing but purple and gold. Yeah, there you go. And so you've been watching them for your whole life and, and whatnot. What are your favorite memories of East Carolina sports? Um, there's so many. I mean, that's one. Man, it, we'd be here forever if I, <laughs> I talked about those. But uh, I can definitely pinpoint a few in, in, a, in a hurry. And one would obviously be that, that 1991 season. Uh, the the Peach Bowl game that capped off that season, East Carolina going eleven and one, being ranked number nine in the nation, um, the best season in school history. Um, so many games from that season, um, defeating Pittsburgh, who was ranked at the time in Greenville. Um, that was a game that made East Carolina bowl eligible at six and one, and you know, winning that game um, in the final minutes, 
in front of a packed crowd of 36,000 standing room only at what was then Ficklin Stadium. Um, and then, you know, defeating Syracuse and come from behind fashion up in the Carrier Dome when they really had it rolling. And then uh, going on the road to Virginia Tech, uh, Lee Corso had been saying all season long, you know, the Pirates will uh, stub their toe uh, and they will not get past the Hokies at Lane Stadium. And then it looked like Corso may be right. And then fortunately the Pirates battle back from, a, I think it's a 14 nothing deficit to win 24-17. So those are definitely some of the best memories from that season. Did you um, say, 90- did you say not so fast, my friend? To yeah, Corso? exactly. Not so, not so, my, not so fast, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My dad and I would always get a kick out of he and Craig James, and then I guess later on, um, Kirk Herbstreet saying that. But um, some other fond pirate memories, um, going to the big dance in 1993 in basketball and by winning the Colonial Athletic Association Conference Tournament, having the opportunity to be at that championship game when the Pirates defeated James Madison. Um, and then 1999, that was the year that Hurricane Floyd uh, wreaked havoc up and down the east, east coast and, you know, just flooding of epic proportions in eastern North Carolina. And um, the Pirates got off to a 5-0 and start that season. And uh, the fourth game of that season, the Miami Hurricanes, oddly enough, you know, or coincidentally, were supposed to be coming to Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. That game, uh, NC State was nice enough to lend us Carter-Finley Stadium. Pirates fell behind 23-3. to rallied for the 27-23 win over Butch Davis and a Miami team that was absolutely loaded, including the likes of Dan Morgan, Bubba Franks, Clinton Portis, um, et cetera. Um, So that's definitely – I mean, that game, not to get off on a tangent, but if if you're not familiar with that game, if you go back and, and, you know, watch it, it was very indescribable. You know, being behind 23-3, I really – Never felt like we were going to lose. I always felt like that we were going to come back and win the game because we we had just been shooting ourselves in the foot. We had had to practice down at South Carolina for that entire week, um, displaced because of the the flooding. Um, and the Gamecocks were nice enough to lend us their facilities as well as uh, supplies and so forth. Then um, just dug that hole, and then we're able to battle back and just capture one of the best wins in program history under those circumstances uh, and won the 1999 Disney Spirit Award at the ESPN uh, College Football Awards down in Orlando. Yeah, you know, I, then, I I remember, I, I tell you why I remember that game, because uh, that very same day, I had gone to Atlanta for UCF Georgia Tech, and we had Tech beaten and lost that game. So we go, so me and my buddy go back to the hotel, and we're watching this, uh, this uh, great comeback by East Carolina and just enjoying the heck out of it. <laughs> Absolutely. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, and the way Carter Finley stadium was packed and plenty of pirate fans and the majority of the fans were, were East Carolina fans, but then you had, you know, just college football fans in that triangle area that were wanting to see a heck of a football game. And they, uh, needlessly uh, to say, uh, did see just that between the Pirates and Hurricanes that night in Raleigh back in the end of September of 1999. Um, a lot of excellent memories from the Keith LeClaire era, uh, three straight number one seeds in baseball. And then, um, you know, when Coach LeClaire, at, right after he had been, well, not right after, but, you know, several months after he had been diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, which he battled for about five years before passing in the summer of 2006, you know, Coach LeClaire was just such a tremendous coach, but an even better man. And winning that 2002 Conference USA Baseball Tournament there at uh, Granger Stadium, 30 minutes down the road from Greenville in Kinston, North Carolina, uh, that was uh, a tremendous experience and wasn't a dry in the house, I don't think, when um, when the East Carolina baseball team took the water cooler and dumped it on the hood of the van. Hmm. Well, of course, uh, you know, uh, since you follow East Carolina so uh, so vividly, you know, one of the things I was going to ask you about, you know, is like, you know, who do you follow in, in the in the pros? And I know you you like to follow the guys who who played for the Pirates and uh, and I know we just uh, uh, on a 
different podcasts, you know, I discuss guys like Dwayne Harris and and people like that. So who have who have been your favorites over the years uh, that you've uh, that you followed and 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 currently follow? My earliest my earliest excuse me memories of the NFL. Um, I guess go back to about eighty six or eighty seven when Ernest Biner was um, starring for the Cleveland Browns under Marty Schottenheimer and. You know, playing alongside Bernie Kosar, um, never could get past the the Broncos there in the uh, championship game. But you know, just Ernest Biner, tremendous running back. He had uh, done so well at East Carolina, one of the Pirate legends. And then um, he moved on to the uh, Washington Redskins and played in multiple Super Bowls for Joe Gibbs. Uh, so. Those are my memories. Obviously, the Carolina Panthers didn't come into existence until 1995. Uh, so, you know, those first, I guess, eight years or so of um, being an NFL fan um, were, um, you know, tied to Ernest Biner and the Cleveland Browns as well as the Washington Redskins uh, largely. And then there in the early 90s as well, I uh, talked about that Peach Bowl team. You had Jeff Blake. Uh, going on I from think, Sanford, yeah, yeah. Florida. Yep. Yep. Exactly. From Sanford, Florida, he began his uh, NFL career with the New York Jets, but then not too many years there, about three or four years into his NFL career, was picked up by the Cincinnati Bengals. And for a short period of time, after that tremendous 1995 season, where he was always, you know, connecting on deep balls with Carl Pickens and Darnay Scott, um. You know, he was able to um, be the highest paid player in the NFL, uh, something that a lot of people probably don't realize. But tremendous memories of that. He threw such an excellent deep ball, uh, threw it at a trajectory or with a trajectory, I should say, uh, where it was almost indefensible. And then you had Robert Jones. Uh, you know that as a Cowboys fan, uh, Robert Jones uh, starring uh, alongside some of the tremendous talents that Dallas had in those years where they were winning what, like three Super Bowls in four years there in the early 90s under Jimmy Johnson going back-to-back and then uh, winning another one as well under, I guess, Barry Switzer. But um, tremendous, tremendous linebacker Robert Jones should have won the Buckus Award in 1991. Instead, they gave it to the guy from Michigan, not surprisingly. And then um, also uh, you had Vincent Smith from East Carolina play for the Cowboys. You probably remember that name, John Jett, the punter. So um, – even though I wasn't necessarily a, a Cowboys fan uh, to your to your level, uh, I, I was definitely pulling for the Cowboys a lot there. And then also when Dwayne Harris was with them, you know, twenty years or so later. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Dwayne then, Harris is one of my all time favorites. <laughs> and then you, and then you had David Garrard, definitely always pulled for the Jags when he was starting quarterback for them. And then uh, Chris Johnson, his time with the. Tennessee Titans. Of course, everyone remembers that season when he when he ran for over two thousand yards. Something that has very rarely been done in the NFL. Yeah, and a guy that was you know his just lightning fast. <laughs> yeah, his his speed is it's amazing. It just shows you what an inexact science that recruiting is for him to get out of Florida um, with, with all the the programs down there. You know, kudos to. John Thompson, who was uh, the coach that actually brought him in before he starred for Skip Holtz. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask you as well, you know, since you follow college football so ardently and all that, and of course you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, you played some uh, small college football quarterback punter. Tell me a little bit about your athletic experience and what, and what that was like. Um. Wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I guess in some, I played um, football, you know, going back to my childhood for, I guess, 17 or 18 years. Um, if, if there's one thing I could do athletically again, if I had the opportunity to go back, it would be to play, um, you know, Friday night lights and nothing like high school football, you know, suiting up for a community. I um, mean, in my opinion, you know, and, and, you know, your high school representing a community, I should say, you know, nothing like it. And, you know, you see the, Friday Night Lights, the movie you know, about high school football in, in Texas. And although it wasn't to that level, you know, the town that I was fortunate enough to grow up um, going to school in, um, right outside of uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and uh, just north of Lexington, a little town or community called Welcome, uh, <laughs> funny enough. But um, you can imagine we heard a lot of jokes about that. But North Davidson Black Knights, um, 
you know, such school pride. And, you know, we would, we would put as many as, you know, six, seven, eight thousand in our stadium, standing room only several deep on Friday nights and very blessed to be a part of two tremendous teams that uh, we only lost one regular season game in my two years on varsity and, um, and only three games total. And so you said quarterback and punter, right? Correct. And quarterback and punter. And then um, I played baseball up, up, uh, you know, through 10th grade before I just focused on football. And then I also ran track. Um, one of my football coaches was the track coach and he um, taught me into doing that, you know, just to get faster for football. And then I, I had played basketball just up until high school. But, um, once I got to high school, you know, football was my primary focus. All right. So tell me about being a quarterback. You know, uh, were you, uh, the, uh, what sort of offense did you guys run? We, you- we had a tremendous running back and we actually had some very talented receivers and could throw the ball very well. But, you know, we primarily operated out of an eye formation. Um, so, you know, two back sets, you know, with your fullback and tailback and run, running, um, you know, for diehard football fans, you know, sweeps, powers, traps, um, counters, um, all those sorts of plays, um, your basic eye formation plays. And, um, you know, uh, when we did throw the football, we had a lot of success doing it. But, um, you know, we we'd throw it probably 10 to 12 times on average just because – you know, we, we really didn't have to. Uh, so so we were very selective. And when we didn't, did throw the football, a lot of times it was off play action or, you know, or your quick passing game with your slants, hitches, and those sorts of things. But, um, yeah, those that was the, the biggest thing. And, you know, one of the things I really, really embraced, and, you know, as far as playing the quarterback position, um, I prided myself on just – having a tremendous work ethic and you know, with um, the weight room and you know, film study and doing everything that it took to, to be successful. And hopefully, you know, you know, getting my teammates um, to do the, to do those same things. That, Being the that leader. Have, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All those characteristics of a, of a leader and, and embracing that to, uh, to get them to, uh, to work hard and for our, success to be what it was you know winning winning 20 ball games i guess it was over two seasons now as a punter did you ever get to run a fake punt we did and that, that was one of the things that when i was getting recruited to various places um you know the coaches would, would say hey that's something we really like about you and that you're a quarterback and that you can also know you're a very good punter and because of that you know if teams see you back there they just can't sit. They can't assume. Oh, it's a fake coming because you know you can you can punt the ball, um, you know, forty to forty five yards consistently with excellent hang time. So, so that was something that was uh, definitely a, a huge benefit um, to not only my high school teams but the college teams I played for as well. And we ran some fake punts uh, and took advantage of that. Yeah, you know, and I and the reason I ask it because I was always, uh, uh, you know, being a Cowboy fan, you know, Danny White, who ended up being the heir apparent to Roger Staubach, he was the punter uh, while waiting to take over as the quarterback. And then when he became the quarterback, he punted his first couple of years and they ran numerous fakes. Uh, with him, they, in fact, they they used to call it the long shotgun, and uh, you know, I always just found that amazing. You know, to do, you know, people don't realize, you know, it's 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 really hard to be a quarterback, but to also play a dual role like that, uh, you know, that just adds to the complication. I think sometimes. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, you know, being a, a a punter, you know, a lot of times you'll hear this analogy. You know, I mean, whether it's punting, kicking. Um, You'll hear the analogy, you know, com- the comparisons to golfers, you know, just because of the middle aspects of, of that. And then also the, the mechanical aspects of it, as far as the leg swing, a drop, and just having to have the consistency there. So that was something that I, um, that I often, you know, use um, when, when practicing punting. Just a lot of times, and this sounds crazy, but, you know, when you would sometimes if you really, um, swing your hardest when you're playing golf i mean you, you may hit it great you may you a lot of times though you'll slice the slice the uh 
mess out of it, you know. So, but uh, so a lot of times that would be the same way with with punting. You know, if you had a good drop and you had a good leg swing, but you know didn't go fully after it, you know, with with a one hundred percent leg swing, you, you'd see a lot of times your best result when you, when you had those consistent mechanics and consistent drop. And, and all those things that you, that are required to uh, have a solid result. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I was on your podcast, uh, we talked a lot about the uh, the Atlanta Braves, which we're both fans of. Um, and so, you know, you grew up as a Braves fan. And so I think you probably grew up, you know, not knowing them as a losing team <laughs> because they won a lot of championships uh, in the nineties. Uh, tell me about your, your recollections of, uh, of uh, the Braves in your childhood. I'm actually old enough that I do recall the Braves being a losing team because my favorite player was Dale Murphy. Okay. And then, so they're in the, the mid to late eighties uh, when the, the Braves were just, you know, winning 60, 70 games a year and stuff like that. And uh, really bad baseball. And, and the Braves would have hardly anyone at their games there at Atlanta Fulton County stadium. So then when the Braves did have 15, 20,000, not that big of a crowd, but relatively speaking, it was, I'd say, man, they got they have a big crowd uh, tonight, right, Dad? And he's like, ah, not really. It's just, it's just bigger than usual. To <laughs> <laughs> me, he's like the stadium. The stadium, you know, seats right around you know fifty, fifty-five thousand. So it's, this is still not that big of a crowd, but it just seems like it to you because the attendance has been so poor. Um, but there, like you alluded to, there in the early nineties. Um, the worst of first season, excellent memories of that. Never got the opportunity to see Dale Murphy play for the Braves, but uh, after he was with the Phillies, I had the chance to see him play right field for the Phillies against the Braves, so that, I guess that was the next best thing, uh, seeing that series, or at least a couple games of that series at Atlanta-Fulton County Stadium, and uh, having the opportunity to see my initial favorite player of my childhood, and then you know that the worst the first season and a lot of those seasons there in the early 90s, just remembering guys, obviously the tremendous pitching staffs. Um, they were already uh, tremendous with the likes of Glavin and Smoltz, Steve Avery, but then acquiring Greg Maddox from the Cubs. And then you had the, the likes of uh, Jeff Blauser, um, you, and of course, Sid Bream playing first base, who had also been with the Pirates at one point. And then um, him scoring that winning run to beat the Pirates in the NLCS. And then you had, um, you know, the Limmer, Limmer at second base, Otis Nixon. Uh, you had, had to love Otis Nixon stealing all those bases. Uh, Ron Gant. Um, I remember when the, the crime dog, or, or as he quickly became the fire dog, um, <laughs> when, when, when in one of his first few games, or, or maybe you can correct me, uh, Maybe it was his very first game uh, with the Braves. They had the fire, and I want to say it was the club level of Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. Yeah, it was his and, first home uh, game, yeah. Yeah, first home game with the Braves. And it was a fire, and so he became the fire dog instead of the crime dog. And you know, he, he went on a tear. I don't remember exactly what it was now. It's been so long. But um, you know, he was hitting a home run about every game or every other game. And uh, one of those streaks is very difficult to produce at that level. Yeah, and you, of course, you you talked about Dale Murphy, and of course, he's uh, certainly uh, in my all-time favorite Braves list for sure. And you look at the fact that he was winning MVPs on some very bad teams. I mean, there were there was no support behind him. <laughs> so you think about the accomplishment right. of winning MVP uh, on such terrible teams is is to me why he should one another reason why he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And uh, something else that comes to mind while we're on the Atlanta Braves is just, you know, there's 15 consecutive uh, division titles. And unfortunately, it just resulted in that one World Series title in there in 1995. Um, several World Series appearances and then you know, and playing in the, the NLCS all those years and just never could do what it took and kind of the – Kind of, I guess, the Buffalo Bills of Major League Baseball in a sense, except even more so, you know, the the Bills uh, have been the four, I guess, three straight Super Bowls and, and 
or four Bills straight. Were, Super Bowl. Bills were in four straight Super Bowls. Yeah, for, yeah. yeah. For, I started second guessing myself. Yeah, four straight, four straight Super Bowls without winning one, and then the Braves, you know, fifteen consecutive playoff appearances and just that one World Series title. Yeah, although I would I would say from this standpoint though, because uh, you know, especially having having you know been a Braves fan when they were just god awful. And you think about it, you know, how many how many fans of teams would would trade what the Braves did in 15 years? You know, <laughs> you, you, there's a lot of teams and franchises that have never had that kind of success. And at least you could go into the season. Oh, we got a chance to win it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. So, I, mean, I know here recently um, in, the, in the last five years or so the uh, Kansas city Royals have had more success than they had historically, but you know, the, the Royals were so bad for all those years. Uh, and then organizations like the Padres hadn't had a whole lot of success. Obviously here in the last several years, the Astros are not necessarily always legal success, but um, the Astros have had a, had a lot of success. I remember when the Astros were just awful and, mm-hmm. um, you know, when the Braves played them, it, it wasn't, it wasn't so much, and obviously that level, I mean, you're going to lose some games, but it was more a matter of how much the Braves were going to win by than if they were going to win. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, one of the things we've always talked about, too, uh, in, in other shows is, you know, the fact that uh, it's it's fun to travel to sporting events. And uh, and I know with East Carolina, you've gone to a lot of a lot of sporting events uh, uh, for East Carolina, some outside. And you've been to some pretty, uh, pretty impressive venues. Yeah. Uh, uh, Give me your favorites, uh, if you would. Uh, number one, I'd have to say uh, Mikey Stadium up in Army. Uh, if you've never been able to travel to the uh, the banks of the Hudson River there in uh, West Point, just unbelievable. Uh, I want to say it was Sports Illustrated, ranked it the number three venue of, in all of sports um, behind Yankee Stadium and then also Augusta National with the Masters. But uh, it's very easy to see why. And, I've never been to either of those other places, um, Yankee Stadium or Augusta National, but Mikey Stadium at Army, and they're currently doing some renovations and to uh, make that venue even more special. But um, and you know, keep it what it needs to be moving forward. But with what Jeff Munkin uh, has going on there at Army, he, he definitely has a lot to sell because a game day there in West Point is. Uh, something to behold um we were fortunate enough to go i think it was the first weekend in november and that time of the year uh, the leaves uh, uh, they're changing colors um the leaves were just absolutely uh, beautiful and uh, the setting there um and seeing the you know the game day parade and it, it was funny a uh, funny and funny story uh, with that game day parade with all the cadets and the, the cadets were um, and they didn't say I'm sure it was just because it was easier to say they, they said beat Carolina instead of beat East Carolina so me and the folks that I was with and we just looked at one another like beat Carolina but um, if you have the opportunity to go to West Point to take in an Army football game no matter who they're playing I encourage you to do it mm. But um, some other venues that I've had the opportunity to go to to watch East Carolina play, Virginia Tech several times, probably at least seven or eight times. Um, the Hokie fans are the majority. You know, every fan base has uh, has theirs, uh, so to speak. But uh, um, by and large, the uh, Hokie fans are great. Um, that's a very friendly rivalry, even though it's on a bit of a break now between East Carolina and Virginia Tech due to some differences that – the previous administrations had. Uh, hopefully that series will resume in the future. Uh, have, I've been to Morgantown to West Virginia probably five or six times. I uh, have also had the opportunity to uh, to travel to a lot of other road venues. So you know, South Carolina is one that I've been to probably five or six times. Um, and there were several that I didn't have the opportunity to go to that I would have loved to have attended, but because of my Pop Warner football back in the day, I was able to do so, such as Tennessee, uh, Alabama, um, Auburn, and, and so on. That's pretty cool. And uh, what what other places have you been to outside of uh, football? Um, 
outside of East Carolina football, uh, I've had the chance to to go to two Ohio State Michigan games. Nice. I actually, actually saw Kirk Herbstreit quarterback the Buckeyes there <laughs> in 1990. Um, so. Uh, went to that and then uh, returned to the horseshoe in 98, uh, my junior year of high school. And we had some close family friends. Um, uh, he, the gentleman, he worked for uh, Owens Corning uh, there in Columbus, or right outside of Columbus. And that that was awesome because not only did we get a 10 in the game, he had prime seats uh, through through the business since they were such a large supporter of the OSU program. Um, in addition to those two Ohio State-Michigan games, I had the chance in 2018 to go down between the hedges and watch the oldest rivalry in the South between Georgia and Auburn, and that was a lot of fun. Um, I've also um, – actually, this was East Carolina, but going to Annapolis and to take in an East Carolina Navy game, that was a lot of fun. Definitely encouraged folks um, – not quite as good, in my opinion, as Army, but um, right there, you know, very close second. Um, but that's definitely something if you have the opportunity to do it, whether it's to watch Navy and UCF or Navy and whoever, and definitely uh, take that opportunity if it arises. Um, it's, uh, some other venues I've had a chance to visit but not go to games, LSU, Alabama, Auburn, um, Stanford Stadium, the old Stanford Stadium, you know, where a Super Bowl was played. Um, that was back when I was 12 years old. Um, my sister had a cheerleading competition out there. And, you know, fortunately, that national cheerleading competition, two years in a row, I got to go to the San Francisco Bay Area and um, got to go to Palo Alto to check out the Stanford campus. And that was a lot of fun. Um, while I was out there, got to see Steve Nash um, play for Santa Clara against Stanford um you remember point guard for Stanford at the time was Brevin Knight so that wow. he was a very, very good player in his own right so Brevin Knight against Steve Nash a uh, little did we know at the time uh, what a tremendous matchup that was in terms of um, their future professional careers but Steve Nash lit it up that night and uh, I want to say Brevin Knight had a solid game as well wow that's a that's a incredible stuff so uh Wanted to get your thoughts, you know, since you guys, uh, you know, not only cover East Carolina, but uh, you, you guys look at the at the conference of the AAC as a whole. So, uh, what's your what's your take on the uh, Cincinnati Notre Dame game this weekend? That's a big opportunity for the Bearcats. Absolutely, I, I've never been much of a Notre Dame fan, uh, to say the least. You know, right behind North Carolina and NC State. Uh, that's probably my my least favorite program in the. And they're FBS. kind of HCC related now too. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. With their association with the ACC, that's just one more thing to dislike. But no, no, just I think that goes back to, uh, you know, I've, I found it's certainly stronger in football than it is. You know, it's, I really don't feel as much that way in um, men's basketball and baseball. And I think the reason being is because the way Notre Dame's catered to um and obviously from a dollars and cents perspective i mean you get it because they because of what they bring to the table but at the same time you know just what have they done (laughs) them playing by their own set of rules so to speak with with that nbc contract and everything and just they're um not having to join the conference and being included in the bcs and now the college football playoffs and I think that's the reason that I'm typically pulling against Notre Dame unless they're playing a, a select few opponents. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but as far as this matchup in general, um, I really I really like Cincinnati's chances. Um, Notre Dame, a lot of folks, and just because they haven't been able to beat Alabama and Clemson, um, the only game they've lost other than playoff games to Alabama and Clemson, I think, is uh, to Michigan at Michigan. There's something ridiculous like 47 and five in the last four or five seasons. So Brian Kelly and doing a tremendous job there in South Bend, but Luke Fickle, uh, what a job he's done with the Bearcats and, you know, turning down jobs like Michigan state and to stay there with UC and, you know, veteran quarterback and Desmond Ritter, um, you know, tremendous ground game, solid defense, uh, I really like the Bearcats' chances. I, th- I think that uh, I think that they'll they'll take care of Notre Dame in a very 
competitive game that goes down to the wire. Yeah, and I do have a theory about this game, though. It, it, and it's, it's, it comes to the fact, okay, so they're both top 10 teams right now. You know, if Cincinnati gets this win, so they'll get a top 10 win in their column. Um, but there's still several undefeated teams ahead of them right now. But that will change throughout the course of the season for sure. So I'm looking at it from the standpoint of, you know, how the college football playoff traditionally screws the G5. You know, I'm wondering, will this be the year they say, well, Notre Dame was overrated <laughs> and, and you had that count against them? <laughs> I'm sure. Um, yeah. Any, any way to, to keep that so-called group of five team out of the playoff, even, even though now they're uh, like, UCF and then in Houston, you know, and BYU moving on to the Big 12 um, here in the next few years. Uh, we'll, we'll see how quickly that happens. But, but yeah, they're currently a G5. And uh, with with that label, I mean, I, I'm sure the, the powers that be, and they'll do everything they can to find some way to keep Cincinnati from being one of those four teams. Yeah, which uh, which is a shame because I think they you know they could very well end up being one of the best four teams in the country when it's all said and done, whether they get into the college football playoff or not. Um, it'll be interesting to see. And of course, you know, you reference the the move to the Big Twelve, and uh, it's an interesting scenario. And of course, you know, obviously, I'm ecstatic as a UCF fan for the opportunity to to, to do this. The, the but there's there's a fan in me that's still no matter what happens, we'll still root for the group of five and the smaller conferences to, to have success. And cause I, I don't want to forget where I came from, you know, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, if East Carolina was fortunate enough to be, to be in the shoes that UCF and those other programs are going to be in, it appears, um, you know, just that's, um, that's something that I, I really think I would feel the same way because that was – it has nothing – yes, it does have to, something to do with my East Carolina roots, but at the same time, it just – you know, it also has something to do with what I believe should be and what what's right. And uh, now are you going to have certain programs, you know, consistently – taking down some of the, some of the other probably not but i mean they, they deserve an opportunity um, either ucf has been in recent years um there's no reason that they shouldn't have that opportunity to compete for national championship and it's uh, you know, heartbreaking to see to see those programs kept out just because of you know the the labels that were created by a handful of programs and when, when you see programs like kansas and vanderbilt you know they, they were just they just happen to be in the right league because anybody that knows anything about college football, and it's not just those programs, you know, UCF, Boise State, and those top upper echelon so-called group of five teams are better than so many P5 teams. Yeah, no question. Of course, hopefully there'll be the expansion of the playoff that will at least increase some opportunity for the, for the, for the group of five to get in. Uh, so we'll definitely uh, uh, keep an eye on that. Well, Bubba, this has been a blast. I've uh, enjoyed having you on. And uh, please uh, make some of those uh, uh, plugs, shameless plugs, if you will, for uh, the things you got going on. Absolutely. Um, as far as the sports objective is concerned, uh, you can find us on YouTube just searching the sports objective. Um, you can do the same on Facebook. On Twitter, it's at the Sports OBJ. It's also at the Sports OBJ on TikTok, and we're on Instagram as well at the Sports Objective. Um, as far as the Bubba Rose Show on Instagram, it's at Bubba Rose Show, um, and that's B U B B A R O S H O W. And uh, on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at Bubba Rosenbaum, B U B B A R O S E N B A U M, and um, you can find the Bubba Rose Show but pretty much anywhere podcasts are found, um, you know, whether it's going to Anchor, Google Podcasts, et cetera, and just searching the Bubba Rose Show. All right. Sounds good. Bubba, thanks again for being on. Appreciate it, my friend. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on, Jeff. I look forward to catching up real soon. And we'll be right back with a TV theme to close things out right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. 
And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon. Weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com because class is always in session around here. Virus or no virus. And that theme song, of course, from Young Sheldon called Mighty Little Man. And it's actually known by somebody uh, you would know for something else. Steve Burns, who's an indie rock musician, but um, more commonly known as Steve from the Nick Jr. Show Blues Clues. How about that? Of course, Young Sheldon on CBS, a series uh, set in the late 1980s and early 1990s as a spinoff prequel to The Big Bang Theory. Begins with the character Sheldon Cooper at the age of nine, living in his family in East Texas and going to high school. Ian Armitage stars as young Sheldon, and boy, he, that young man plays the Sheldon character perfectly. I mean, you couldn't have cast any better than that. But their casting gets even more Cool, if you look at it this way. Zoe Perry plays his mother, Mary Cooper, and she is the real-life daughter of Lori Metcalf, who plays Sheldon's mom on Big Bang. Lance Barber plays his father, George. Montana Jordan, his brother, Georgie. Reagan Rivard as his twin sister, Missy. And Annie Potts as Grandma the Connie, or as Sheldon calls her, Mima. I love Annie Potts. She is so spectacular. And, uh, and... Gets set up with great punchlines in this program. Matt Hobby uh, got to the main cast in the third season. He, of course, is Pastor Jeff. And Jim Parsons, of course, is the voice of the adult Sheldon Cooper that narrates the series. And he also serves as an executive producer. In fact, the development of the prequel series began in November 2016 from an initial idea that Parsons had with the uh, Big Bang Theory producers. In the following March, Armitage and Perry were cast, and the series was ordered by CBS and premiered as a special preview in September of 2017, picked up for full season, and has been on the air ever since. And the fifth season set to premiere on October 7th, coming up here soon. And uh, one of my favorite guests they've had on, Jason Alexander, who's great in anything he does. His turn is Mr. Lundy, the drama teacher. Uh, he's done that, uh, I believe, two or three times. It's always spectacular stuff. And, of course, now Young Sheldon in reruns on TBS late afternoon, early evenings. So that's kind of a nice little uh, chuckle time to have if you've had a long day at work. Young Sheldon, our TV theme for this weekend. With that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.